0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Incomplete Thoughts podcast. Um, This topic is something that I'm quite excited by, fascinated by, and also hoping that I'm able to articulate this uh, clearly, that you guys can understand. But it's something that I want to talk about because looking back now, it's an idea that I almost came across serendipitously. Um, First, when I participated in this student case competition, And my friends and I ended up winning first place for our solution uh, to design an AI that is capable of automatically finding and classifying opinions and opinion clusters. And we specifically applied this to scientific literature and being able to identify opinions in scientific um, literature. And then... As I started to learn more about my graduate project and the type of analysis I'd be focusing on, a similar idea popped up, and then when I was starting to read more about philosophy and the embodied cognitive view of phenomenology, things kind of started to piece together, and I realized that this idea was huge. And this idea can essentially be summed up as this multidimensional or topological approach to understanding big data, whatever that big data may be, from neural or genetic data to consumer data, to even language, right? And we, in my case competition project, we use this to understand scientific language and cluster papers um, according to how they use the language. So for this podcast, I'm actually going to be primarily focusing on a biological application um, of this idea, this multi-dimensional approach um, that we call either the state-space framework or manifolds, Um, but I'll get into that a bit later so traditionally a lot of science has been limited by computing very simple statistical methods that are most easily performed um, on basic linear relationships ie like univariate methods however This perspective quickly takes a curious soul to this overly reductionistic roadblock. And this roadblock has plagued science for many years and only now are we coming up with methods that computers can handle. So in science we have this tendency to observe some kind of phenomena in nature and then operationally define it to the best of our abilities, hopefully, um, to a few variables. And then we artificially create this environment where we can control for single variables at a time and then try to combine these independent observations and make extrapolations. However, for certain phenomena, while this may work, as we get into more increasingly complex systems, as most things are in biology and in science, we begin to see diminishing returns. So today, I'm going to be talking about this idea that has many names, and I still don't know what the difference is, but they go by the idea of the state-space framework, and I guess a 3D visualization of this is called manifolds. But essentially, it's a multi-dimensional approach to understanding some kind of phenomena's dynamics. So as I just said, in biology, linear logic pathways of causation of things like A leads to B, which leads to C are often used to describe things like molecular pathways, cell fates, um, protein interactions, so many things. However, many of these linear relationships and linear pathways are embedded in a much larger complex network or maybe multiple networks. Um, especially with the recent influx of omic data like genomic or transcriptomic or proteomic, which are essentially all biological big data, the conceptually simple idea of nested binary choices start to begin to be undermined by the realization of that things are more complicated. And these complicated molecular networks have many circular control loops, which can very rarely be explained through these very simple linear causal explanations. So the fundamental issue with networks of regulatory pathways that we often see in papers and textbooks, if you do a quick Google search of the Wnt pathway or the FGF pathway um, you'll get an idea of this, is that they fail to distinguish between network architecture and network dynamics. So network architecture can be often defined as basically a static collection of nodes, nodes representing whatever agent you're measuring. In the case I'm going to be using, it genes, but they can also be proteins, individuals, um, usernames, whatever, um, these nodes, static collection nodes, and then arrows that represent interactions between these nodes. So whenever you think of a network, um, that's typically what network architecture is. The architecture of genome-wide regulatory networks encompasses all the genes and is typically hardwired in our genome. And Our genome doesn't change so the regulatory networks typically stay the same. However, network dynamics is the concept that kind of links network architecture and cell behavior or whatever phenotype that you're trying to observe or understand rather. And the idea of this state space framework aims to combine the simple idea that is really limited the simple idea of pathway based causality with the dynamics of cellular activity to explain a phenotype or behavior. And in this idea, the arrows connecting genes still serve as symbols of causation. However, linear interpretations of causal networks fail to consider the context of the entire network in which all these causal interactions are actually embedded within and it's these simple rules that are embedded in an environment of other simple rules which allows for complex behaviors to emerge now i want to don't get me wrong uh, one could theoretically follow the logic of expression levels for some gene of interest x However, as you start to add more genes and we get into the hundreds and thousands of genes and agents that are involved that change their gene expression in a coordinated manner with respect to some phenotype or behavior, it's very easy to lose track. Um, you can try this on your own with just five different genes and draw your own Network or circuit diagram, and see how everything changes relative to other things as you go across time. And you'll quickly realize that the system gets complex very fast. Now, the state space framework is essentially a tool that allows us to understand these dynamics while preserving the network architecture complexity. So, I'm going to try to get you to visualize what I exactly what I mean. And this may be a bit difficult because. Um, for some people, it's been a while since they've heard of even math functions, let alone thought of them. Uh, but I think if you attempt to follow along, you'll get a visual idea of what I'm trying to express. So, a network space can be described as a function known as S of t. So, S simply is, denotes state, it's kind of akin to f of x when you think of mathematical functions, and t is time so a network state s of t at time t is defined by whatever expression levels of all the genes in that network at that specific time you can kind of think of it like a cartesian graph where each variable or in this case a gene is a dimension or an axis so when we typically think of a graph we think of two dimensions containing an x and a y axis, but we can add a third axis fourth fifth ten hundred, thousandth, and as we increase the number of variables, we increase the number of dimensions. And the number of variables is described by the letter N. The state ST is a single point in a continuous n-dimensional space, i.e. the state space, which contains all possible states that the observable phenomena could exist in. But to keep this simple, because we can't quite visualize more than three dimensions, Um, we're going to stick with 3. So in this case we're going to stick with an n of 3 representing 3 genes which is visually represented as 3 axes. So if we have 3 genes and the expression patterns of these genes at a particular cell state at time t for behavior, um, phenotype, etc, whatever you're trying to measure is often associated with a 3 variable coordinate position at a specific time. So for example S of or s at 10 minutes, it would be represented by a three-point coordinate position that represents the individual activity of those three genes. So so s of 10 minutes could equal 4, 3, 2.5. So for gene X is 4, gene Y is 3, gene Z is 2.5. And that kind of gives you this coordinate position that you can use and plot. And the dynamics comes in when we start to execute all these regulatory interactions uh, between the genes defined by the network architecture essentially by letting the animal or the cell do its natural thing and observe how all the gene expression profiles change in a coordinated manner across time. And to visualize this, we can think of each state as being uh, being represented by a point, a single point in this graph. And as you continue to measure the same variables across time, the coordinate position changes, and the state moves along this trajectory that ends up forming in that state space as the genes exert their regulatory action onto each other, according to that network architecture. So in this example, the genome. The genome via regulatory networks it encodes constrains the movement of the state of each cell right because the genome encodes the network architecture that contains the rules for how the network can behave the genome constrains the trajectory that we can observe so the network architecture is essentially static uh, because like i said the genome essentially the rules of a cell doesn't change much in a lifetime and that constrains alterations that are possible in the gene expression values and this basically describes everything from development, homeostasis, behavior, etc everything takes place within these constraints and everything takes place along this trajectory and this trajectory can be one day it could be 5 minutes it could represent 10 years of whatever phenomena you're trying to observe so if you're trying to observe just how you move your arm right your arm takes only 5 seconds to move your trajectory can be 5 5 seconds long and the individual dimensions could represent things like neurons Or in the case of development, you can measure all the gene expression profiles and you can see what genes are moving or pushing the trajectory across development. And this idea gets more interesting when we find states where trajectories in a state-space environment seem to converge. And you can call these states attractor states. These attractor states essentially represent stable cell states like differentiated cell types and these attractor states are characterized by a stable gene expression profile that is often robust to small perturbations or changes in the local environment and since they would attract all unstable points in their neighborhood that is why they're called attractor states and the reason why they're able to attract them is because we regulatory interactions as a result of our genome operates within certain limits, certain bounds, and if you deviate slightly towards a lesser or greater uh, boundary, uh, you can be pulled back in through just regulatory mechanisms. So drugs, environment, anything can cause a state to deviate transiently, but if the perturbation is not large enough, um, it will often return to the tractor state and reestablish the associated gene expression profile. And it's because of this Various sets of initial states can end up at the same attractor state, um, i.e., there are many ways to reach an attractor, which is a hallmark of stability. So, when we think of cell types, oftentimes what we see in research and in literature is that cells are more flexible than we'd like to think, right? There isn't this clear-cut recipe that guarantees a cell is always going to turn out the way you want it to. In fact, a cell can be made multiple different ways and it's because of the attractor states and the coordinated activity of everything that's going on in the cell that allows us to reach a single endpoint from mul- multiple different initial start points. So you can kind of visualizing this again in a real system with noise and maybe chaos contributing to random fluctuations the state point wiggles locally in the state space around that attractor right? because a cell is not static. It's always interacting with its environment and these environments cause the local gene expression to slightly deviate to fluctuate a bit and this changes the coordinate position and if you visualize this it looks like a point is wiggling in a certain space. So the best part about this framework is that it kind of solves the problem of dogmatic rigid rules that are often associated with biology and instead allows some kind of flexibility of initial conditions as long as the relative trajectory through the various states i.e. the dynamics is preserved. Right. So you can apply this to not just genetics but you can also apply this to neurons in a biological context and what you find is that It's not just one neuron that is contributing to some kind of phenomena. It's the coordinated, distributed activity of a population of neurons that allows some sort of phenomena, maybe consciousness, or even something as simple as moving your arm, kicking a ball, turning your head, to exist. Even in those that have vastly different initial starting conditions, right? We can apply this framework essentially to any dynamic system, right? to motor function, like I said, to cognition, but to also telecommunication, right? Um, social media, weather, etc. whatever you want, as long as we have enough of the right data. However, as one can imagine, one of the biggest limitations in addition to acquiring enough data is also computational cost. However... As technology improves, we'll likely be able to handle more and more information. And there are also ways that you can reduce the dimensions to a latent manifold or a latent um, representation of whatever phenomena you're measuring. So, if you're measuring something that ends up being a thousand dimensions, maybe only 20 of those dimensions actually contain useful information. So, you can reduce your amount of information fivefold that way. It's not as simple as that, but yeah, fivefold. So I think I think I've gone on more than enough. Uh, it's quite a bit to digest. Essentially, the big take-home message is you can record a bunch of variables that are associated with some kind of phenomena. You measure that across time, and you could plot each variable as its own dimension. And you can measure the state of whatever phenomena you're observing in that multi-dimensional Cartesian plot and you can get an idea of what the dynamics of the system are and the dynamics of the system are um, what are conserved between individuals right while people might have slightly different genetic variants in order to achieve a common endpoint the dynamics have to be the same and the state space framework allows you to do that and i think this this idea will be huge. I think more people are using this in biology, but you can apply this to language understanding and natural language processing as well. Um, That said, I start to ramble a bit. Uh, This is Kartik, I hope you've learned something, and Plus Ultra, I'll see you next time.